Welcome back to Beat Seeker. I'm your host, Matt McButter. In each episode, we explore the shifting world of music with world-renowned experts and artists to take you deep, deep inside the fascinating and changing world of music technology and music discovery. And I'm your host, Mike Weider, reminding you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating if you like the episode. You can visit our website at beatseeker.fm where you'll find plenty of rabbit holes with extra content to dive into, guest backgrounds, and even a playlist with music recommendations from each of our guest episodes. Also, Beatseeker swag. You can stay current and talk to us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at BeatseekerPod. Livestream concerts gained some momentum during the pandemic, but will people keep attending now that things have returned to normal? To help us answer this, we spoke to the industry leader in live streaming, Kiswi. Kiswi's two-way video technology enables audiences to both consume and contribute to live digital content. They have delivered the world's largest digital pay-per-view events and serve some of the top sports, media, and entertainment companies. Joining us today is Glenn Booth, CEO at Kiswi. Glenn was named one of Billboard's 2022 International Power Players and previously held senior positions at Nokia and Alcatel Lucent. Glenn joins us from New Providence, New Jersey. Glenn, thanks for joining us on BeatSeeker. Matt, great to be here. Pleasure to connect. Glenn, you're the CEO of Kizwi. What does the company do? We are a live streaming company. So we are a cloud native company and then we've built up the capability to do remote production and remote streaming all around the world. Okay. So can you give me a couple of examples? Uh, what, what, what type of artists do you work with on the music side? So really one of the first concerts that we ever did was with a small band called BTS. <laughs> oh, so, never heard of them. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So that was really when we first started to break <laughs> into music. So, Amazing. Um, you know, a little bit of our origin story was um, more really focused in sports. So that's how we got started out. Our first customer was the NBA. We realized that some of our technology could be used for different applications. And years ago, we really saw this opportunity for live streaming, really reasoning that most of the people that would love to experience a live event just can't get there. And mm -hmm. we experimented a bit with music and then we had the opportunity to stream a BTS concert out of Osaka, Japan. We didn't know it at the time, but they were really giving us a trial and we uh, capped the uh, experience at a few thousand users. Lo and behold, it went quite well and we've done really all of their concerts ever since and have set uh, a number of Guinness Book of World Records along the way. So that's yeah. been exciting. For sure. Wow. That's, that's a great, um, you know, kind of first music concert to do. My, my daughter, <laughs> I'd say she's maybe come out the other side, but she, she went through a kind of teenager, huge K-pop phase where, you know, she knew, I, I think every, she knew like the favorite colors and favorite food of all the different BTS members. And it was that kind of stage, uh, stage. So yeah, the, the BTS, BTS and the BTS army is certainly a, a force in music. So I, I also, I understand that your system is unique and that it's two-way versus one-way video. Can you explain that? What, what does that mean? 
Okay. So then if you really step back as to why our company exists, I mentioned before, we had this notion that a lot of the people that would love to experience live events just can't get there. It's too expensive. It's logistically hard. Now there's public safety concerns, um, lots of reasons. So we really sought out from the time that we started the company to create an experience that made fans feel like they mattered. So feels like they are have a democratized experience so that their contributions might matter as much as somebody that can actually get there in person. So that's really been the mission. So, you know, what do we do to enable that? We try to give them a sense of place. We try to psychologically even give them a feeling that maybe somehow, some way, the artist might notice their contribution. So whether it's the artist sending special special messages out to fans, putting the fans in rooms of like-minded people, having them have the opportunity to share small moments, maybe small video moments, five-second videos that can get safely moderated, put back into the experience digitally, but also creating that new video so that if this was also being put onto TV, me as a fan, I get my five seconds of fame and maybe I could end up on TV. Maybe I could end up back in the stadium and then my favorite artist actually shouts me out. So we've tried to build a lot of interactivity so that it does create this two-way conversation between content creators and the fans that love their content. I see, I see. So almost, you know, some some value add or some different, maybe some different elements to the experience that might elevate it for somebody uh, who's attending a streaming experience versus attending it in person? Yeah, if I'm at home and I'm enjoying a mega concert, I want to feel like I'm not by myself. I want to feel the energy of the crowd. That's what makes it exciting. I want to feel like if I clap or if I cheer, that it has some impact on the overall event. So that's really the emotional construct that we've tried to build up and really the feeling that we've tried to create in our experiences. That's cool. So if I, so a person online potentially could make some video that would show up on, let's say, the, the video, the giant video screen in the concert. That's right. Yeah, that's cool. That's right. Very cool. Right? And then it feels like I'm on equal playing field, in a sense, as to the people that can get there, quote unquote, in real life. It really makes the digital fan matter about as much as the fan that can physically get there. Hmm. Hmm. Now, I know this, you know, is a music podcast, but uh, I, you know, you mentioned that you work with some sports teams as well. Um, you know, I guess they're both live events, but it seems like there'd be some major differences between the two. So how does your business and, and how do your products maybe compare uh, for, for each of these sectors for kind of live sports versus live music? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, the base of our business for years was built upon sports and it was really heavily built on remote production so that what's now been like popularized as a Manning cast, we actually have been doing um, you know, work like that for years. So we can put that experience into the cloud, allow different commentators to call, say, NBA basketball games from anywhere in the world that would be married up with a video that can come from anywhere else in the world. 
comes up into the cloud perfectly synchronized. So then you get alternate commentators that are providing different points of view for different demographics really all around the world. So that maybe was really the lang- focused maybe on even languages. Do you language is a really right. big one. That's a huge yeah. use case for us. So it allows for cost effective scale of more customized experiences that are really tailored towards specific fan bases. So that instead of having to build big, scary, expensive studios, that's really hard to scale. We can do this on a laptop with uh, a set of, uh, you know, a simple headset and software. And then anybody can call a game from anywhere in the world. And it really comes across as professionally. With when we started getting more into music, we take all of those outputs and now we really put them back onto musicians' own web pages. So all of the um, you know interactive capability that we described earlier, sometimes the remote production itself, ticketing, payment, the live streaming itself, customer support, we will really put that into the digital presence of our partners so that they are building their brand. And it actually is allowing them to deliver experiences that previously were only available on giant mega platforms, like maybe an Apple or a Facebook. And then that is going on to somebody else's platform, somebody else's brand. We're empowering an artist to really take that back. And then they're promoting their own digital presence, their own website, their own brand. So they're creating this little platform for themselves. So instead of going to YouTube, I'm going to justinbieber.com or whatever it is. And then, and I get the experience through his site versus being disintermediated by some other platform. Yeah. And maybe not even an experience, you know, perhaps a number of experiences, right? I think more and more artists are trying to reclaim that ground that has been ceded to the really large platforms over the years. Sure. So if they're able to deliver a number of concerts, maybe they have premium VOD experiences that they want to do their own artist cast and relive and tell the story, put that out to their fan bases, premium merchandise, etc. It's really their own branded destination and marketplace that they can build a long-term relationship with their fans and they know who their fans are, which is very, very important for them. Mm, Sure. I guess maybe the difference is that, you know, in sports, we're used to watching sports on TV and that's probably how most people watch it. Uh, Whereas in music, we're used to going to live concerts or you watch nothing. And and so, you know, in the case of sports, maybe you're providing, as you say, a, a new way to get the instead of the the typical TV experience, you're you're providing something new or interesting there. But people are already used to watching it on a screen. Whereas in music, it's it's probably something where people are less used to it, and so the demand creation is maybe a little bit more important. Is that is that accurate? Like, how do you see? I mean, how would the size of these businesses compare for for you? So the Demand creation is a very interesting part of this. 
So what we're really doing is empowering a brand to tell their own story and cultivate their own fan base, right? Fundamentally, we're a technology company. We're not a, we're not a marketing company. We're not buying content. We're empowering content creators to create this direct relationship. So for artists, they have platforms that they've been able to effectively do that, but in a more general way. So they could go on Instagram and a famous artist can reach some of their 50 million fans. They don't know which ones. They don't know who they are per se. Um, this gives them a more direct way to cultivate that fan base, directly message them, and then give them the content. That is a different construct than sports. I mean, you said it. Sports has traditionally been big linear television, but now that's all getting disrupted. You see all of the giant streaming companies writing big checks for content. So you have Thursday night football going to Amazon. You have now um, the Sunday ticket going to YouTube TV. You have uh, you know MLS moving over to Apple. So you have really all of the big players that are right now disrupting and all of that prior content that's been locked up in linear is now porting over to digital as we speak. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, now, you know, I know during COVID, obviously we couldn't go to concerts and people were shut out of live venues. And so I'm sure online streaming, live streaming got, got a bump there. Now, you, now you guys were alive well before then and doing this for, right. for a while. Um, but I would have, I would have assumed that that kind of gave you a shot in the arm there with a lot more interest in online music. And now that we're back in live venues, I'm just sort of curious to know what the, what the, what does the data look like in terms of interest in attendee? Has it, has it, has it stayed strong or is it sort of come back down to earth like everything else that got a sort of sugar high during the COVID period? You know, our, our view always, and you, you said it, we, really started bringing these interactive live stream experiences to bear before COVID was invented, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, so we, uh, you know, we, we really made this as a long-term investment because we, we really saw this fundamental, inevitable technology change that the benefits of streaming, it's never going, we never really imagined that it would replace a um, you know a physical event, but more and more we knew that it would help augment that, and I think that we see that even today and even in the trends in the future. We see live streaming as an awesome complement to the live in-person events, and they play off each other really nicely because the inventory in a physical event is always going to be finite. You almost by definition are not able to efficiently reach 99% of the fan base that you could reach. So that remains true before, during, and after COVID. I would say, um, especially in the music industry, what we observe is that post COVID expenses are at a different level, both for consumers and for artists. So the artists that put on a worldwide tour, you know, may have a harder time on having profitability on, um, you know, on driving to their fan base as efficiently as possible. And also you read a lot about just the stress and the mental pressure of doing the worldwide 50 city tour 
you know, maybe there is a better way. So we're starting to see this model emerge that, huh, maybe I could do, instead of 50 cities across the world, maybe I could do a handful. And maybe I stream the first one to promote it and the last one to cap it and then to tell my story of it. And I can also then address all of my fans, have them feel satisfied and perhaps make as much, if not more money than I would have in the old, you know, than the old right. way of doing it by right. going on the worldwide tour. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess a perfect example of that could be this Taylor Swift situation in the last uh, couple months. Like my my daughter was trying to get tickets and like everyone else. Everybody's uh, daughter got killed on that one. <laughs> yeah, we got we got crushed. And um, and I guess Ticketmaster sort of blamed this on this um, unprecedented uh, tsunami of interest where the the there was 10x the demand they anticipated. Um, and so their whole systems blew up, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, I guess, that, you know, they're clearly there has long since been a supply and demand issue with with the hottest uh, shows and that there's never enough tickets. And then that creates these um crazy problems with uh, systems going down, but also just the whole scalper and secondary markets. Um, you know, do, I guess, does live streaming address that? Or is it the, is, is that the, I guess that's the, is it the right way to look at it and that it can augment some of that? Or, or do you feel like um, it, it's more of a different experience? It's never going to replace, you know, my daughter going to the show, but I guess if she can't get tickets, that's the, the next best option. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I think they live in harmony. I think they play off of each other. I think they provide different experiences. And maybe just like, you know, at this point in my life, I might enjoy watching, um, you know, a football game from home rather than fighting in to get to the stadium. I think there are some people that feel that way about music and then some people that still like to get there and some people that might like to see the different shows in different ways. I will say um, it brings up another <laughs> another angle to this, that if you talk about these mega artists and their popularity and the surge of demand that can be generated from one of their events, Live streaming is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> so we are like, we're a B2B company. We're a technology platform. We have invested in an arsenal of technology to try to deal with this because it's very hard. There are very few companies in the world that can architect so that the thing doesn't break when you most need it. It's really unfortunate when that happens and you have to be very well prepared, but you're dealing with so many unknowns that with an artist like Taylor Swift, yeah, they might break the internet. And then your challenge is, <laughs> you know, how do you try to prepare for that? How do you try to, um, you know, use that to your advantage and then try to deliver magical experiences to the fan bases because the fan bases for these artists are so passionate care so much about it and then it's a big responsibility because you're reflecting that artist's brand so being able to stitch that together i think is um a very important part of this new hybrid world that we're embarking on yeah for sure very 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 interesting so i want to talk a little bit about you know gaze into our crystal balls a little bit there's been a lot of experimentation in online concerts, uh, you know, especially recently. We've interviewed the likes of a company called Pixelinks that's putting concerts in the metaverse. 
another company, Spirit Bomb, is creating virtual artists for metaverse concerts and live shows. Uh, you know, you your company has innovated with this, um, you know, with the two-way video. Uh, where do you think things are headed and what innovations are you most excited about? So I think it really another vision that we have and that I think is important for the industry is, you know, I mentioned this 99%, getting these onto every screen. So we've invested a lot of effort to get these streams at massive scale globally and then putting them onto mobiles, then laptops, then smart TVs, but getting them into theaters into bars and restaurants so that the whole world can harmonize on this in different groups right maybe i want to do it at home from my bedroom maybe others want to gather with dozens of their friends in a movie theater maybe another one wants to go to hundreds of their friends to a buffalo wild wings i think there's room for these experiences to be shared and to be magical across different groups so everybody feels like they're together and i think that in addition to this notion of the two-way connectivity and making the remote fan feel like they matter i think there's also this new idea of a digital stage and it creates an opportunity to build beautiful experiences that are possible. Are you talking the, about like the uh, that ABBA, ABBA thing in the UK where there's sort of hologram artists or <laughs> something no, different? I, 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 I mean, I think that's cool. I think there's also a lane to have beautiful performances that are perhaps more theater-like, almost more mm. like a Broadway show on a digital stage. Um, even leveraging the real artists themselves so that they could tell the story of their music, the story of their album. Oh, I see. A new way to, really a new way to break an album, um, you know, through imagery and the creative aspects that are not going to be so present when you're doing a physical concert. So I think more and more you'll see different types of ways that an artist can communicate with their fan base to help represent the life cycle of their music. I see. So you're still talking about something that I would consume on my laptop or phone. It's just that the format of what's being presented isn't just purely a replication of the concert. It may be something else. Yeah, I think there will be a lot of new formats that are coming out really to celebrate. Here's what a new, here's a new version of an album release. Here's what it means to kick off a tour. Here's what it means to be a capstone, a completion of a tour, and then the digital version of that. Right, right. I think that makes sense. Like trying to compete with the live concert and just replicating that is probably never going to fully kind of uh, compete there with the experience, but creating something different. Something new. Something new. That's right. That's probably the right angle for sure. It has to be fundamentally interesting to inspire fans to spend their time and their money on it in a different way. Yeah, yeah. You know, like coming back to sports, it's not uncommon that in a big game, say the uh, away team would uh, 
would host something in their hometown in a stadium or a, some other venue. Has anybody tried that in music where, I don't know, there's some, because I think the interesting thing you mentioned, which is that people want to feel far, part of the experience and being around other people at a concert is kind of what makes it great, not just watching the band, but it's the whole experience. And uh, and so if I was in a in another venue where maybe the, the actual band isn't there, but I have all these people around me experiencing this together. Has you anyone still get tried part that? of the energy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Has anyone yeah. tried that in music? Well, I mean, theaters are probably the best example. Right. So, you know, we have a, you know, a few partners. Um, <laughs> I'll have to be careful of what I say, but I think theaters is a very good uh, proxy for this. And, in, you know, maybe it's hundreds of people getting together instead of tens of thousands. So it's an intermediary between watching it at home and trying to feel connected digitally versus yeah. being there with 50,000. That's maybe the uh, the midpoint. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And what are your thoughts on short form video? Like, uh, obviously, there's TikTok and YouTube uh, shorts now. Um, there's also, you know, there's a ton of concerts online with tiny desk and uh, KXP concerts. I've watched a few of those. Um, you know, what what are your thoughts on the role of that? And is that is that something that your company would would play a role in, or you're just more focused on the long form? I mean, really, we encourage our partners to use mainstream forms of social media, including like short formats to help promote their premium events. So we'll work with artists that might put out one or two, um, you know, premium events a year. Maybe they'll have a number of smaller events, but then they can use formats like you're describing so that they can get to different elements of their fan base and then use that to promote a big upcoming event like an album release, a special version of it, or a live stream of their concert tour. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very cool. So, Glenn, we have a, a guest picks playlist on Spotify that's got uh, a pick from uh, each of our, I think we're over 70, um, 70 guests now. So, I'm going to put you on the spot here and I'm going to ask you for a music recommendation that we can throw on our guest picks playlist. So <laughs> we, we obviously have a music team that tries to keep me pretty well informed. Cool. So I, I always get different views. So they'll hate that I throw this out there. <laughs> but our, our marketing lead loves a band called Diarrhea Planet. <laughs> and he made me promise not to say this. He's like, no, they're not popular. They're, uh, you know, they're not, <laughs> but they're an awesome band. So he's had me listening to them. And I have to say, I've learned a lot and I was pretty impressed. I would say maybe for one that's a little bit more accessible that, you know, I, I'm pretty excited about and our team was pretty excited about. Um, Lauv was a, um, you know, a really nice one. Um, that, um, you know, that's really gotten a lot of attention from us over the past, um, the past few months. Very cool. All right. I, you know, I might have to put Diarrhea Planet on there just because it's a really eclectic, uh, eclectic playlist and that'll just continue to, you know, to make it even more eclectic and adventurous. So, uh, I'll, no, I'll that'll bring, be great. Our marketing team will yeah. be, uh, you know, uh, so proud that I was able to get that exposed. Love it. Love it. Okay. And finally, uh, if our listeners want to yeah, follow you or your work, uh, where's the best place for them to go? 
Check us out at kiswe.com. So K-I-S-W-E.com. That's got all the information about our company and the partners that we work with. And and social channels and all that kind of stuff. They can that's the best place to start. Okay, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And uh Glenn, thanks so much for telling us about Kiswe today. It was really interesting. Thanks, Glenn. Great to connect. Thank you both. You've been listening to Beat Seeker with your hosts, Matt McButter and Mike Wider. If you like the show, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. While you're there, leave us a rating and a comment and share it with your friends and colleagues. If you want to dig deeper into this content, visit BeatSeeker.fm. That's B-E-A-T-Seeker.fm. Interact with us on social media at BeatSeekerPod. BeatSeeker is recorded in the Devil Lake Studios and the Tunnel Under Arundel. The show is produced by Matt McButter, Mike Wider, and Kate McCartney. Thanks for tuning in and keep seeking. <laughs>